0: The mysteries of time can never truly be understood, but there are some who are bold enough to look into the eyes of Kronos himself and who dare to undertake dangerous journeys through the ages, though few return with their sanity, and those who do must still face terror at Collinwood. Careful, my friend, where you tread, for I warn you now, there are spoilers ahead. Welcome to Terror at Collinwood. I am your hostess, Danielle, a.k.a. Penny Dreadful, and I am really excited to bring you this
1: episode today. Uh, My guest is sensational. But before we get to the discussion, I'd like to remind you that the Rondo Awards are still going on, at least as of this recording, and you can still vote uh, in many wonderful categories here. Please consider writing in Dan Curtis for Monster Kid hall of fame it's a special category in the rondo awards and the previous episode i did you can hear more about the monster kid hall of fame you can write in up to six people um so uh some other suggestions i have for you mark dowidziak who is in this episode uh and i i can't believe mark isn't in, in the monster kid hall of fame already he should be uh i mean You'll hear Mark in this episode. You'll hear my intro for him, and you'll hear our discussion. And if you didn't already know Mark DeWitziak, believe me, his contribution to the terror genre, the horror genre, cannot be uh, overstated. I mean, especially when it comes to Kolchak, especially when it comes to the Night Stalker. Mark literally wrote the book on the Night Stalker. Uh, So, yeah, Mark DeWitziak, 100%, yes, alongside Dan Curtis. And how about Barbara Steele, uh, the legendary horror icon Barbara Steele, the last of the great horror stars and of course she has the major Dark Shadows connection for playing Dr. Julia Hoffman in the 1991 revival series and also for doing that, the one, that one big finish audio with the only one Jonathan Frid did with Jonathan Frid and John Carlin. and Barbara Steele was in that too. But she was in so many classic horror films uh, Black Sunday of course but so many others, you know, The Pit and the Pendulum and uh, Curse of the Crimson Altar The Long Hair of Death and uh, an angel for satan uh, the horrible dr hitchcock the ghost a lot of these italian gothic horror films and then later on she came back and did piranha i mean just look at her imdb or wikipedia page and you'll see what i'm talking about if you're, if you're not if you're not familiar if you're listening to this podcast i assume you must be familiar with barbara Steele. uh she's legendary with barbara Steele, absolutely um deserves to be in the monster kid hall of fame but dan curtis uh you know since He himself was an enthusiast of those types of stories. That just adds another layer to it. I I really, I am sad that Dan Curtis isn't in the Monster Kid Hall of Fame, so please vote for him. Uh, also, in addition, Terror at Collinwood is on the ballot as well on the, for Best Podcast, um, but there are so many great podcasts. I can't even decide who to vote for on this list of podcasts because there are so many good ones. Classic Horrors Club Podcast, Monster Kid Radio, uh, Literary License Podcast, Bill Watches Movies, uh, The B Movie Cast, The Diecast Movie Podcast. I mean, I could just keep going on and on. There are so many great podcasts. And um, I also want to mention that there are two other dark shadows specific nominations in addition to terror at collinwood under book of the year we have running home to shadows which was edited by jim beard who was on this podcast and several of the people in that book have been on this podcast including uh the guest in today's episode mark DeWitziak, who wrote uh, a piece for it and also the collinsport historical society was nominated for best website in addition uh guests also under best website raymond castile's basement of horror uh ray uh was a guest in the 1995 episode there's asylum for the psychotronic under best column of 2022 which is written by ansel farage and that's in the we belong dead magazine and then other guests uh for example rod labby uh wrote the house of the seven gables article for Scary monsters number 128 a whole bunch of the horror hosts who uh, were in the uh, horror host episode. Uh, gosh, uh, Count Gore uh, also under Best website, but is also listed under um, uh, Best Horror Host as one of the nominees. But I think most of those hosts uh, that are still active are on there, such as John Dimes, Dr. Sarcophagi, I'm um, just off the top of my head, you know, uh, Halloween Jack, the Bone Jangler, Sally the Zombie Cheerleader, um, uh, Marlena Midnight, Bobby Gamonster, Carlos Borloff, Dr. Gangrene, I mean, it's just basically, just go down that list of horror hosts. Uh, I mean, I don't wanna leave anybody out. Um, I know many people on this ballot in many different categories that I've had the pleasure of meeting. Over the years, many of whom I consider friends. So if I leave anybody out, I'm sorry. It certainly is not an, an intentional omission. Um, there are just so many people. I can't mention everybody or will be here all day. Uh, so give the Rondo ballot a look. You can check it out at rondoaward.com. And you can email. The, the way this works is you email your choices into taraco@aol.com, taraco at aol.com. T-A-R-A-C-O at aol.com. And uh, you have to put your name on the ballot when you email it. And you have to send it in by Sunday night at midnight, April 23rd, 2023. So there you go. Um, The other thing I wanted to let you know about is uh, Hermes Press, who have been putting out these wonderful books, reprints of of the Ross novels but also the deluxe hardcover editions of the Gold Key comics, the newspaper strips, the Digest even. Well, at the end of the uh, recent video that Dan Herman posted, he dropped a, a little bombshell there at the end. I, I don't think the word has is, is really gotten out yet, but uh, they're doing a retro 1960s style Dark Shadows coloring book. How cool is that? No images have been released yet, but Dan uh, Herman did announce it in the Hermes Press uh, official YouTube video. You can watch it over on the channel. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But he did mention there's a retro-style Dark Shadows coloring book coming out. What a cool collectible that will be, because we never had that in the 60s or the 70s. There was never a Dark Shadows coloring book, which is strange to think about. It's like, what? The lunchbox and the coloring book are kind of, I guess, filling in the blanks uh, as far as merchandising. And I mean, there were so many Dark Shadows items in the 60s and going into the 70s even. We had a lot of great Dark Shadows collectibles that came out, but we never did get a lunchbox, which we now have, or a coloring book. Brilliant. I love that. I can't wait to see what it looks like. According to Dan, it's going to look like you went in the Wayback Machine, and it's going to look just like it, it would have if had it come out back then. So I'm really looking forward to that, and I'd love to see more things like that uh, as far as Dark Shadows collectibles. But anyway, I think that's all the news for today. Let's get to the show. Welcome to Terror at Collinwood. Tis I, your hostess, Penny Dreadful, taking on the form of Danielle. And I am extremely... Honored and excited to introduce my guest today, it is Mark DeWidziak. Mark is an author, critic, actor, and Mark Twain scholar. In addition to writing two nonfiction books about the Carl Kolchak character, Night Stalking, a 20th century anniversary Kolchak Companion, and The Night Stalker Companion, a 30th anniversary tribute, Mark has edited three collections of works by Richard Matheson, all published by Gauntlet Press. His work in the horror field includes a 1994 novel, The Kolchak Papers, Grave Secrets, a play, The Telltale Play, short stories, comic book scripts, and the non-fiction book, The Bedside, Bathtub, and Armchair Companion to Dracula. You may have also seen some interviews with Mark on the MPI Dark Shadows DVD's bonus features. His recent biography of Edgar Allan Poe entitled A Mystery of Mysteries The Death and Life of Edgar Allan Poe examines the renowned author's life through the prism of his mysterious death and its many possible causes. Welcome to the show Mark it's a pleasure having you here.
2: It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Mark I um I I loved your uh, MPI home mm-hmm. video interviews and I, you, when I started this podcast uh, a couple of years ago it's going almost 2 years ago now you are right away on my list of i people i have to reach out to to invite to be a guest on the show because uh, a lot of what you said in your interview really resonated with me and and i agree with with what you said as well and i often uh, will talk about those topics on this podcast um i i'd love to hear though how you originally got into dark shadows and all things uh horror monsters were you, were you a monster kid uh back in the day
2: you know um i grew up in new york um in in the early 1960s um what passed for children's entertainment in new york was really the uh the entertainment of our of our parents and in some cases our grandparents uh they gave us the Abbott and Costello, The Three Stooges, Laurel and Hardy. That was my earliest influences when I was a kid. They were on all the time on New York television in the early 1960s. And when I was seven years old in 1963, um, good old WPIX Channel 11 in New York showed uh, a film called Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. And I didn't know what a Frankenstein was. I had no idea. Uh, I was there for the Abbott and Costello part of that title. But in that movie, um, playing uh, Dracula only for the second time on film uh, was Bela Lugosi, and he was wonderful. He was he in many ways, steals the film. It is such a great performance. That performance in that movie turned me into a horror fan at seven years old. So you know this was 1963, and I immediately started scouring the TV listings for anything that looked scary or horrific we didn't have the term monster kid in the 60s you know that's that's a, a more modern uh, iteration or definition for for how we kind of refer to kids who grew up with that stuff back then um but if you if you could see over my shoulder over here all 13 of my original aurora monster models are over there yay oh you know, wonderful. and it, the first one was dracula i got mm-hmm. you know uh, shortly after seeing Evan castell me frankenstein for the first time so I was watching The uh, the Twilight Zone and The Outer Limits. I was, you know, watching anything that showed up on TV, particularly the old universal horror movies, but movies from the 50s with, you know, giant monsters sacking major cities. It didn't matter. I was there. So um, somewhere around 1967, uh, I started to hear that there was a vampire running loose in daytime television and um, on a soap opera. And. I was probably somewhat reluctant to give it a try because a soap opera sounded like the worst possible thing to watch. I just, I couldn't understand why anybody would watch a soap opera. My grandmother watched As the World Turns. She would set up her ironing board in our, in our, in our living room at the same time every afternoon. And she would announce that she was about to watch her story. You know, and it, that's what it was. It was her story. I, I wanted nothing to do. I would watch it and I think, this the most boring thing i've ever seen on a television set you know the most interesting thing about as the world turns was the niagara spray starch commercials where the, the big iron would come down the Niagara <laughs> falls that was the only thing that was even remotely interesting to me and uh, but I, I eventually it was too alluring a thought vampire vampire well okay i gotta give this a try so um you know at this point barnabas was already out of the box you know uh, willie had already let him out um so shortly after that, uh, so I was not with Dark Shadows from the beginning by any means. Um, I got into it basically because of the buzz among the horror fans that, that that built. And I quickly got hooked. All of a sudden I was watching a, a soap opera. All of a sudden I had a story and it was Dark Shadows. Um, and I started, I got the Gold Key comics. I got the Viewmaster Reel. I got the Dark Shadows LP with narrations by, Jonathan and David. I got, uh, you know, the, all the the playing cards. I still have the playing cards. I still have most of this stuff, by the way. The Marilyn Ross or Daniel Ross uh, novels. You know, I was I was getting all of it uh, all through there. So I was hooked, you know, and it was basically because my way in was as a monster kid, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but my older cousins were watching it the my my teenage uh, cousins were watching it because it was a phenomenon among teenagers as well so they were watching it as sort of a teen phenomenon i was watching it as a as a horror show and um, that was the great thing about dark shadows is it had so many points of entry yeah you know you you didn't have to be a horror fan to be watching it you didn't have to be a soap opera fan you didn't have to be a a goth gothic uh, fan you 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 could be any one of those things and still watching it.
3: yeah That's what I've always
2: been. liked about dark shadow fandom when when you go to a convention uh, when you when they used to have the festivals and you would go the fandom was so diverse. yes, it yeah, was yeah. wonderful. you know, you'd see couples you see families you'd see you know kids you'd see uh people who watched it like me and they're they're, they're the first run Mm -hmm. um it it, you know it was really wonderful i'm sure that people in their minds have a stereotype of what a dark Shadows film looks like but there is no stereotype
1: yeah um it's interesting i was just talking about this on the podcast a couple episodes back because when my my uncle introduced me to dark shadows in in the 70s and then i started watching that he'd get start getting uh tapes from syndication in the early 80s um but i i was aware of it from famous monsters magazines he'd give me and and all of bubble gum cards and my assumption was always at that time that dark shadows was it was horror fans the classic horror fans that were watching dark shadows but there is it's interesting looking at the different audiences for Dark Shadows. You have the horror fans, yes, but you also have the soap opera fans. And then you have the uh, teenage fans that were into like the teen magazines, like 16 Magazine and Tiger Beat and stuff that were getting into it that way. And then you had the the college kids that were, you know, hanging out in the dorms and doing, you know, their thing and watching Dark Shadows. So you have all the, like you said, different points of entry for, for the show. It isn't only horror fans. It's all these other groups of people that, are not necessarily also horror fans too That's right
2: that's right yeah. and 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 I, you know it was one of those things which uh became a, a part of the fabric of my uh my childhood it came along mm-hmm. at a very very good time you know i, I so i started watching when I was starting watching it i guess i, I was about 10 years old
3: mm-hmm.
2: so i was watching it you know and then right almost to the end so you know 10 okay. 11 12 you know uh, right on through mm-hmm. it's a it's a great age to sort of be be, be hooked on something like that because yeah. it's a great jump start to the imagination absolutely it's a wonderful you know way in and you sort of get tied into all of this stuff and um there were things that just stuck with me forever that i can remember different scenes different episodes watching it the first time and then later on seeing them when when the sci-fi channel was was, was uh double running it in the 90s um my wife is a little younger than I am. My wife is about five or six years younger than than I am. So she did not see Dark Shadows in its first run. She was sort of aware of it. She'd always hear me talking about it. Sure. So when uh, the Sci-Fi Channel uh, started, we would watch it. We, di- we didn't watch it. Uh, we would tape it. And then at night, it would be our, 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 our viewing at night. We would have this ritual where we'd watch an hour of Dark Shadows, uh, two episodes a night. And in fact, um, that was... Um, during the period where my wife got uh, was pregnant with our daughter, Becky. So Becky was introduced to dark shadow in utero. (laughs) Two episodes (laughs) a a day. (laughs) And then I'm not making this up. She actually ended up being born on the 30th anniversary of the premiere of dark shadows.
1: No kidding. So, you
2: you know, when Becky got to be old enough, you know, you know, say that when she was like uh, ten years old. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, and it was her birthday, and I'd say, you know, today. You know, it, it, you know, you know what today is, and she said, <laughs> 40th anniversary of Dark Shadows." Right?
4: <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it.
2: Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. I mean, it 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 really did have a a big, uh, you know, sort of continuing impact too, as well. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Um, you know, um, you mentioned something interesting too, like about being a kid and not wanting to watch a soap opera. And I, at that time, when I was introduced to Dark Shadows, it was not introduced to me as a soap opera, it was introduced to me as a an ongoing sp- spooky show with vampires and drama and thunderstorms. But the Gothic characteristics worked well in that structure. Uh, because I don't think Dan Curtis initially pitched Dark Shadows as a primetime series, and then they, they wanted to do it as a daytime series, but that actually worked out really well because you ended up with this serialized gothic tale, which was a callback to sort of those 19th century serialized gothic tales.
2: It was. I mean, you know, you, you look at the the traditions of, because Dark Shadows obviously changes, it, it morphs, mm-hmm. and it begins more in the tradition of sort of the Bronte sisters yeah. You know, it sort of begins more with a Wuthering Heights uh, type of feel to it. And, um, and as you know, I mean, there, there was, there wasn't supposed to be anything supernatural about dark shadows and, mm-hmm. and, and there really wasn't until they finally crossed the line and introduced the the ghost, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which, you know, leads to a Phoenix, which leads to a vampire and there and we're off to the races at that point. Um, you know, and and that was a, that was necessity. I mean, you know, as, as, as the, as the story goes, you know, and Dan loved telling the story, but you know, is that, you know, the only thing scary about dark shadows uh, after the first few months were the ratings, a, Yeah, you know, Dan wanted to do a gothic story and, and, and nobody wanted to watch a gothic story, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, it wasn't, didn't have anything to do with the quality of the show. It just was not catching on. Sure. And uh, you know, the ghost appears and the, and there's this little blip and it's like,
3: Hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, you
2: know, and, and, so it, 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 it's really the, the fact that they followed the, the pattern of necessity and mm-hmm. uh, it, it turns into a supernatural show. Sure. It evolves into a supernatural show. And uh, you know, everything they did was um, after that, was 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 responding to that very first decision of and and you know they knew they were crossing a line they knew you know when 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 dan you know when the, the whole discussion of, of introducing a ghost was like well nobody's done this in daytime before
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know you, you, you this is crossing a line here yeah it, if we do this and as you know, uh, thank goodness they crossed the line
1: absolutely uh it was groundbreaking and then it turned into a phenomenon i mean it was just uh yeah i hate to
2: say you had to be there but boy you did have to be there. Just, <laughs> i think to experience it was the a phenomenon it was yeah. it, it it exploded i mean and yeah. and the merchandising um it sets the pattern so much for things that fall like the twilight uh phenomenon of many years later, where you'd go into a Borders or a Barnes and Noble, and there would be, you know, twilight buttons and posters and things like this. And I was like, we've seen this before, you know, yeah. this is the first time this has happened. The pattern was set really in the late 1960s.
1: Yeah. And, I'm glad, channels. and I'm glad you brought that up because that leads me to my first question here. Um, you talk about this in your in MPI interviews about how pivotal dark shadows was and that it doesn't get enough credit in, in several respects. Would you, could you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. I, you know, I, you know, I, I, talked about two things, major things in that, uh, those interviews, uh, one was that dark shadows did not get enough credit as a, as a pivotal show is that if you look at, um, and there's two ways to, to, to sort of look at it, how it doesn't get enough credit. Let's start with just sort of the vampire story because Dark Shadows as storytelling, as day in, day out storytelling. And I think, you know, the writers would have been the first to admit this was extraordinarily derivative show. You know, they were borrowing, you know, oh, yeah. from all of the classics. It's Dan's, Dan loved the classics and Dan loved redoing the classics. Mm-hmm. And he was at home in that. You know, so they'll redo the Frankenstein story they'll do. Uh, they'll do the cask of Amontillado and the telltale heart. They'll redo Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde or the picture of Dorian Gray. They're constantly as, as Sam Hall once told me, and I'm sure he used this line many times because I think it was a well-practiced line when he hit me with it. He said, like, if Stephen King was up and running, we'd still be on the air because yeah. we were we were, t- we were stealing from everybody. <laughs> So, you know, if you look at, at, at Dark Shadows, it's always very, very entertaining and the characters are always the primary interest, but the plot is always sort of following very uh, derivative things.
3: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: the interesting thing is always, okay, it's Quentin going through the, 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 the picture Dorian Gray phase or it's Barnabas going through this. The, the one great innovation that Dark Shadows contributed to all of horror storytelling, but particularly vampire storytelling was, the fact that they set the vampire character free. And what I mean by that is, everything in vampire lore, uh, folklore, mythology, and literature throughout, the, through the 1800s, leads to the publication of Dracula in 1897. Stoker brings it all together. And Stoker gives us the, the, the basically the rule book for vampires. There is no real advance on the vampire character from 1897 to 1967. All during that time, and we see a lot of vampires. We see, you know, Nosferatu and the Graf Orlock character, Lugosi's Dracula, John Carradine's Dracula, Christopher Lee's Dracula. They all are primarily predators their goal their job is to be a predator now they might have we sensualize we them a little bit as we go we humanize them legosi's cleaned up he's looked more like a valentino type of figure uh, lee introduced almost an animalistic sensuality to the character we certainly did that but what we did not do is make the last and final jump and it doesn't happen until barnabas Barnabas is the first vampire that gets what a vampire doesn't need. If a vampire is predator, what does he need with a conscience? What in the world would a predator need with not only a conscience, but a desire to change? That had never happened before. I mean, there's a hint of it in Dracula's daughter. If you see that, she wants to change. She wants to change, But she reverts yeah. to being predator. There's a hint in John Carradine's performance of Dracula, sort of a world weariness and a longing to be rid of the curse. But with Barnabas, there's a full embrace of a of a conscience. That's revolutionary. That is the moment that the vampire gets completely set free. And every vampire reflects their era. Every single vampire, if you look at, I I can do this, you know, with every single vampire, whoever say, how does Lugosi's Dracula reflect his time? How does Lee's Dracula reflect his time? How does Barnabas reflect it? It's the 1960s. It's this amazing decade where everything's getting turned upside down and inside out. Everybody is questioning their place. And it's a time of liberation movements. It is a time of uh, you know, uh, gay rights. It is a time of, 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 of the feminist movement. Uh, it is the time of civil rights. It is time, all of these, these, these points where people are, are coming out of the repression of the 50s and this conform, conform, conform of the 1950s. And in the 1960s, it's like a pressure cooker and it explodes. And if that's going to happen and a vampire is gonna reflect its error, guess what? He is going to question his nature, just like everybody else is. So I'm not saying they did this consciously, by the way, but how beautifully does Barnabas fit the 1960s? Yeah, because Barnabas opens up all possibilities for vampires. He not only says, you know, that he's going to reclaim his soul. He's going to become the hero of the show. He's going to become your central. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Just think about that for a second. Think about, you know, the hundred, the, 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 those 70 years from Dracula to that, how revolutionary is that? And that's why, you know, when I do lectures on vampires and I get to this point in the the, the narrative, I always hold up the cane and say, <laughs> you know, on the tip of this cane is perched the whole history of the vampire character. And Barnabas Collins, this cane represents nothing less than the Emancipation Proclamation for vampires, after this, vampires can be whatever they want to be. And they can look what, like whatever they want to be. You know, who's watching Dark Shadows? Who's going to be influenced by Dark Shadows? Practically everybody, but yeah. not the least of which is Anne Rice. Oh, sure. You know, just, you know, a few years later is going to publish a vampire novel in which she's going to take all those questions of Dark Shadows. Can I change? Is it possible to change? Can I reclaim my soul? Who am I? All those questions of dark shadows Anne Rice is going to take and she's going to run in all sorts of directions with them. Yeah. And it's rolling thunder after that, you know, and after that, vampires can look like anything. They get more diverse. They become more interesting. They become and it's not like we lose the predators. We always have predators. Yeah. Was right. Dan Curtis turns around, and the first thing he does after uh, after Dark Shadows is the Night Stalker, and right. he gives us one of the most predatory vampires of all time. Mm-hmm. Such an inhuman vampire, he's not even allowed to talk. Sure, he's not even allowed to speak. So we never lose those vampires. We always get them. We get them in, in all sorts of movies after that, like John Carpenter's Vampires are from Dust Till Dawn. But we increasingly open the possibilities for vampires, and Dark Shadows did that. Mm -hmm. And Dark Shadows also kept horror, was one of the key things that kept horror going in the 1960s. We had this horror boom in the 50s. And not only on film, but we had great writers like Robert Block and Richard Matheson and Ray Bradbury and Shirley Jackson writing all of this magnificent horror. And you get some in the 60s. You 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 get some of that in the 60s. And you do certainly have like the Roger Corman films and the Hammer films and the Twilight Zone and the Outer Limits. But Dark Shadows is one of those things that keeps horror going and keeps yeah. the fandom together and sets it up for the boom in the 70s. Because yeah. in the 70s, now you're gonna get Stephen King up and running. Now you're gonna get John Carpenter on, on, on the screen up and running. You're gonna get Anne Rice. So Dark Shadows also is that kind of, what I like to say is a swinging door.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, It's like the old swing swinging doors on, in, in every Western in the saloon where you'd go through the door and the, the, the doors would keep swinging back and forth. Dark Shadows is the link to the past, and it's the path to the future.
0: Yeah, that's, that's why it.
2: it's so important. That's why 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 it's critically important, and it does not get enough credit because it was on daytime. Yeah, you know is is you know everybody always looks to literature, film, and if they look to television, they look to prime time television. Um, Dark Shadows. It was shot on videotape. It was on daytime. It was a soap opera. For all of those reasons, it was not taken as seriously as it should have been. Even by horror fans, it was not taken as seriously.
1: Yeah, I mean, people take for granted nowadays things like... Uh, you know, Angel or True Blood, for example, Bill Compton and True Blood and all the Anne, R- Anne Rice uh, vampires. Have in, there's a new series about that. You don't get to them without Barnabas Collins. And Barnabas he's, is an interesting, yeah, he, he is.
2: In many ways, splits the bloodline, if you will.
1: Yeah, he's a it's hybrid like, you know, almost.
2: It's, 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 it's a pretty straight line going to Barnabas. And it's almost like, you know, if you play pool, if you have ever played pool and you, you, you hit the cue ball and it hits two balls and they both go into two, two different directions. That's what Dark Shadows did. And uh-huh. it, like I said, you don't lose the predatory. If you like your mean, nasty vampires, like I think it's interesting that um, about five years after Dark Shadows went off the air, there's two books on the bestseller list at the same time. Uh-huh. The first one is Stephen King's Salem's Lot. And Stephen King believed that vampires uh, should be nasty, mean characters with sharp teeth that use them. So he gives us that vampire in Salem's Lot. Same time, just a little while later, here comes Anne Rice with Interview with the Vampire. And she gives us the more sympathetic vampire, more introspective vampire. And these two things, and, and they're going to symbolize the two lines that are going to continue to this very day.
1: And interestingly, both of those authors, Dark Shadows fans, on re- born on record of being Dark Shadows fans and, and having watched the show, and Barnabas is a hybrid brian barnabas could be predatory especially early on but even he later is. barnabas was always dangerous. there was always an edge to barnabas he was always dangerous when he was a vampire he was he was the hero of the show but he was also could be unpredictable like you know you don't expect barnabas to strangle carl collins <laughs> well, <laughs> well, and, and, and,
2: <laughs> yeah he's always dangerous and he's he, that's always what makes him interesting but mm-hmm. it, there's there's dark shadows also responding on its feet because you know mm-hmm. I, I always you know the, the, I, I always tell the story which is you know that again you know dan was when he decided when the decision was made you know not solely by dan there, there were writers and sure. you know and Leela everybody was was in on it um but when the decision was made to, to to bring a vampire in dan was 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 obviously echoing dracula he was going to bring in a vampire who was primarily a threat and um you know, as I always say in the lecture, you know, is is Jonathan didn't know very much on how to play a vampire. You know, he, you know, he was an actor. He was, you know, so he built an interior life, which is what an actor does, especially a trained Shakespearean actor. He did exactly what you would, you would expect somebody to do, but nobody could actually tell him how to play. How do you tell somebody how to play a vampire? How do you tell somebody? And so, Jonathan didn't know too much, but the one thing he did know was how long he was going to be on the show because he had a three month contract. You know, he also knew how it was going to end. It was supposed to end with a big stick of lumber uh, (laughs) coming out of his chest. You know, that was going to be, that was it. That was, he was going to be brought on, brought on to be a threat, and then eventually destroyed, you know, Um, you know, and out of this comes that, that wonderful, accident if you will you know this they recognize it. they recognize that you know
3: "Hmm,
2: this guy's way too popular to kill off but we have to do something then you know and everybody is kind of working together. part of it's in jonathan's performance part of it's with what the writers are doing um a lot of people get credit for this but this is the true innovation of dark shadows
0: yes we are
2: at it with everything else that you look at you say well that was a replay of that that was a replay of that Mm. this this isn't. I mean, you know, I, mm-hmm. I I think the two major, great innovations of Dark Shadows. The the first is Barnabas, uh, because of, uh, and then they had to. It wasn't again. It was it wasn't what they were setting out to do. But yeah. but, but it, n- nevertheless, that that is the great innovation of Dark Shadows. And I think the second uh, is the Angelique character.
1: Oh, Angelique. Absolutely. Because I think
2: Angel yeah. Angelique's a power figure. She's she's a first oh. off, you know almost all. Um, sort of the goth, scary uh, women of horror up to that point were dark haired.
1: Yeah, Barbara
2: you know, they Steele, all yeah. Had, You know, the, the Morticia Adams look, you know, sure. the, or, or, or the uh, vampira look, if you will, mm-hmm. or whatever. They almost all looked dark, with with very you know and all of a sudden here comes you know the, the dazzling blue eyes and blonde and you know and she's the power figure in this yeah. she's in many ways uh the 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 most powerful figure in, in in the ongoing story in a lot of ways yeah so i think those that was a double two you know was the fact that they went so far as to make that powerful a figure a woman in daytime yeah.
1: well she's i i asked when i interviewed lara parker i asked her if she was pulling from medea from greek tragedy because that's that archetype i think is what angelique is but you, as you said it's subvert she's the blonde hair blue eyed she looks like the ingenue but she's she she has the power of medea that mm-hmm. vengeful quality of medea who's who is uh mm-hmm. scorned and is going to have her revenge um she, she she said she wasn't she would love the greek uh greek tragedies but she wasn't consciously pulling from that but there's i think i don't know if the writers did that intentionally or not but um you also commented this is i i love that you mentioned this too in terms of reflecting the 60s dark shadows i think is the first prominent other than comedies like the monsters and the Addams family this is the first drama i think that presents the other the supernatural characters as eventually the protagonists of the show. They become the the monsters led, led kind of led by Barnabas there, with the exception of Julia, but she's sort of in that mad scientist-esque category, right. I guess. But right. uh, you know, but they the other becomes the the lead character, they become the lead characters in the show, and the human characters kind of become the victims, they're sort of there. They're important too, but the monsters are the ones who are kind of leading the charge there. And I don't think that was ever done before. Dark Shadows, at least dramatically speaking, that I'm aware of, in that way, where you're following the story of the vampire and what's going on in his world.
2: Oh well, no! And again, that, that that's totally a function of, of you know that turnaround for Barnabas mm-hmm. at that yeah. point. It because and then they do it again with Quentin.
0: Yes, you know, they, they yes.
2: is, is that you know first quentin is this extremely scary figure who shows yeah. up as a ghost in the west wing and he's you know the every time you see him it's this like you know yeah. uh, and and again look how gradually they humanize him then quentin becomes uh one of the hero figures mm-hmm. in, in in it so oh yeah it it it, it you you see this you know that that turnaround and that's an amazing turnaround it's, it's it's easy to almost dismiss it it's almost easy to go past it yeah real fast and say but you gotta whoa, wait a minute here do you understand how revolutionary this is
1: and people take it for granted now all yeah. of these shows a lot of these uh, you know supernatural themed shows now are those are the, the main characters that you follow in in the story it's a straight are-
2: line and you're and, and you said it i mean it goes like anne rice to buffy and angel Mm-hmm. true blood and twilight and the vampire diaries it's it's a straight continuing line that comes mm-hmm. right out of dark shadow those are the children of dark shadows right there yeah, yeah. Those, are, those are the descendants uh, of dark shadows
1: and a lot of those people who created those shows cite dark shadows as an influence like alan ball and and some of those uh, mm-hmm. you know true blood and, and vampire diaries uh, uh, was, you know, american horror story american Horror. The, the the creator of that show also cites dark shadows and It's strange that I've read, I was reading online discussion of genre genre television and somebody referred to Dark Shadows as the missing link of genre television. I I think that's a bit extreme because I don't think it's a missing link. I think it still has quite a following to it, but I wish that it would be more known. I went to Comic-Con and it was the 50th anniversary of uh, Batman, uh, Star Trek and Dark Shadows. and There was Batman stuff and Star Trek stuff everywhere. No dark shadows. I think Hermes Press did a panel there with Lara and Catherine, I believe. I, I would. Will McKinley, who I had on the show, pointed out, "Well, those other things are owned by big corporations. Dark Shadows is owned by Dan Curtis's daughters, so it doesn't have the kind of the backing. But I wish Dark Shadows had a, a more of a presence. I think in pop There's culture that. today. And,
2: and the other <laughs> thing is that Dark Shadows has not had a truly successful reinvention
1: true true Um, and
2: and that it too is i mean you need something to sort of renew the fan base Mm -hmm. and um you know dark shadows badly needs a new iteration of some kind to Mm -hmm. remind people what it was what it is and that's you know i mean if you look at all those big franchises like you know uh, uh the dc heroes there's this constant reinvention yeah Star Trek there are constantly new things Star Wars all of sort of the big franchises have had huge blockbuster successes in a way it's kind of amazing that Dark Shadows is hanging on as long as it is because there really hasn't been that kind of thing that gives the fandom a jolt yeah and then re- renews it and it needs it it it, yeah. it 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 very very badly needs it um and it can happen at any time. I well, Mark would
1: Mark B. Perry with his yeah, I, reincarnation yeah. show, the the sequel, they haven't done a sequel to Dark Shadows yet in no. television. I mean, they've done, re, it's always a remake or a reboot, but they haven't actually attempted to do a sequel. But what, I like that idea just because everything that happened in the original series still happened, but now we're going to find out what's happening now and what happened in the interim between, I think that's an interesting way to approach it. And you can bring in original actors from the, from the original series like Catherine or Laura Parker or David Selby, you know, James Storm, et cetera, to to make appearances or play their characters again, et cetera. You you can have some fun with that. I think. The the, the missed
2: opportunity was, was 91. I mean, there's no question. The opportunity was the NBC primetime revival. Mm. Um, which is, by the way, what got me sort of back into, put me on the map a little bit as far as mm-hmm. Dark Shadows, because I was a TV critic, uh, full-time TV critic at the time. And um, that when when NBC um, went ahead, and um, I, it was the same time that a small publisher in New York approached me about writing history of the Night Stalker. Mm-hmm. So this gave me uh, two reasons basically to talk to Dan Curtis. And to download dan curtis's brain and um that started a very good relationship um you know i know dan had a reputation <laughs> dan, <laughs> dan had a temper uh, yeah. you know the, the the stories are legendary uh, <laughs> but dan and i got along dan and i got along very very well you know i remember an interview roger davis once gave where he said that something like he was dan's pet and he was allowed to get away with things <laughs> but i think you know from the very first conversation dan understood that i understood his career yeah that i got his career and appreciated what you know that what he what he had done and i think that sort of clicked right from the start you know so if i was in los angeles you know i, w- I would stop by dan's office or whatever in fact the, the um the interviews that you you had mentioned that are on the the mpi release guess where those were done
1: with dan's office
2: or dan's office i'm sitting if you could have looked to my immediate left there was the the wolf's head cane that that ben cross had carried in dark shadows behind dan's desk and facing me was the zuni doll from one of the from from trilogy of terror (laughs) you see me sitting on dan's desk but in in in, in truth i'm surrounded by these artifacts of of dan's career So Dan, you know, always I always enjoyed talking to Dan. I always enjoyed the, you uh, know, uh, but that also led to talking to other. And I I ended up doing a a, a cover story for Cinefantastique on. Oh,
0: the, I have that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right.
2: So this was, you know, uh, uh, you know, I I got to interview the people from the new show and the old show. You know, mm-hmm. I interviewed Jonathan. I had already interviewed Jonathan once before. Yeah. Um So I I got to the chance to go around again with Jonathan and Catherine and Laura. Jerry Lacy, uh, Johnny Carlin, you know, it, it was David Selby. Um, it, it was it was a lot of fun, and that sort of put me back on the map. And then whenever Dan had a new project, he would you know he would always willingly jump on the phone with me
3: uh-huh.
2: and and talk to me, which he what wouldn't was- do because he didn't like you know Dan didn't really like journalists very much. He didn't trust mm-hmm. them. Yeah, but you know he he uh, he always seemed to be you know if if, if 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 I was in Los Angeles and I'd stop by his office. And, you know, the secretary would say, you know, I was coming in, yeah. you know, I put from inside Dan's office, I would hear the, uh, this bellowing voice go, Mr. Night Stalker. <laughs> and then I would sit in front and in front of Dan's desk. And Dan would, would, would tell stories. Dan was a great storyteller, both behind the camera and behind a desk. Dan was a great storyteller and, um, profane as hell i mean it, it, it was impossible for dan to put three sentences together without maybe seven profanities put in places where you wouldn't put profanity by the way it's like who
3: puts profanity there who says that Where that way
2: i mean dan could talk like a long you know yeah. uh, but and after a while you didn't hear it after a while <laughs> you, you just sort of phased out but but dan was, was i always felt like i was cheating the world because i, I was getting like this this front row seat an audience yeah. won, getting this front row seat. And I always thought it was a great shame that Dan never went to any of the festivals.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: I always thought it was just such a crying shame because for A, the fans would have loved him. Yeah. And if you just put Dan on the stage, just put a chair on the stage and put the audience, just let Dan tell his stories,
1: it, it would have been wonderful. He it seemed just- like he was intrigued by them, but wouldn't go himself for some That's reason.
2: Exactly right. Well, a few times Dan ever got quiet on me was um we got to talking about one thing or another and we we broached the festivals i think i think i had just been a guest at one of the festivals and he sort of looked down and he looked up and he said what are they like i said uh, break your pardon he said the festivals the festivals the, the, what are they like and i said dan go find out for yourself yeah go and he said ah, it's not my kind of thing i said really <laughs> really you have something better to do with your weekend than have thousands of people tell you they love what you did and they love you. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, and besides that, if you could do what you do here, just like you know what, you, what we're doing, you, you, they'd love you. They'd eat yeah. you up with the proverbial spoon. If yeah. if you, you know. he never did.
1: You no, know, yeah. no, I always got the sense, and I, I'm curious because. Dan Curtis always struck me as someone, and I just posted an episode of the podcast where I strung together some interviews with Dan Curtis, where because I'm trying to get him voted into the the, There's the Rondo Awards, they have the Monster Mm -hmm. Kid Hall of Fame, and I, I, you know, uh, Forest J. Ackerman's in there, and uh, Zachary and Basil Gogos, and I'm like, I think Dan Curtis should be in that, and I put together some interviews, and Dan Curtis seemed clearly to be. An enthusiast of the subject matter of he talked a lot about at least when he was a kid watching all those universal horror films and being a big fan of Richard Matheson and he his eyes light up when he's talking about the Frankenstein lab equipment that that that, when they did the Frankenstein storyline on dark shadows, he seemed to be an enthusiast and was great at telling those stories. And as you point out in your interview on one of the MPI DVDs, that those stories, people kind of look down their nose at horror stories, but they're great story. It's great storytelling yeah. that deals with these like archetypal human issues, right, through the lens of 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 the gothic. But it, it's become sort of conflated, you know, in the eighties with the, with the slasher thing, and and there's a distinction. It's the horror genre but i think there's a a distinction there and i feel like dan curtis i don't did he develop did he shy start shying away from the horror thing because yeah. of oh, that i got a, that sense there, that that he was kind of embarrassed by it or something
2: i think he, he burned out i think one mm-hmm. the thing is he, he burned out horror is is incredibly difficult to do you know mm-hmm. um as you said if people tend to look down their noses at the two forms that they tend to look down their noses on are humor and horror Mm-hmm. And, and humor and horror, they're twins. They're, they're flip sides of the same yeah. coin. They're the metaphoric devices we use to approach difficult subjects, subjects we don't like to think about. And they usually approach big subjects like death and pain and family relationships. And it gets right to it. Well, you know, horror and humor tend to just, they play it for real. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, and you can't fake them. They're the two things you cannot fake. You can't fake what you scream at with laughter and what you scream at with fright. So, and they are, and John D. MacDonald, the, the, the mystery writer, when his introduction to Stephen King's first collection of stories, Night Shift, he said something very, very smart. John D. MacDonald was a very smart guy, but he said that um, these among writers, it is acknowledged that these are the two toughest forms to master. They're the most difficult they're the ones that they get the least respect and yet they are the toughest to do there are very few true masters of both and the reason is that in the wrong hands the humor becomes horrible and the horror becomes humorous oh that's really good that's really smart now and dan understood that and dan said you know um he had done dark shadows he had done night stalker and night strike he done trilogy of terror and dead of night he had done his dracula his frankenstein And he said, you know, I couldn't creak another door. I Mm -hmm. just, it's such a tough thing to do. And I think he also wanted to, as he said, he said it to me, the way he said it was that up to the point that he tackled Winds of War and War and Remembrance, he knew that the lead of his line in his obituary in Variety would read Dan Curtis, who created Dark Shadows, died And he never wanted it to be, you know, just that. He didn't want to be just defined by that. He was proud of Dark Shadows and he was proud of what he had done in the horror field. But he, I think he wanted to be known. Now, when he uh, got so much acclaim for doing uh, Winds of War and War and Remembrance, and it is no favorite thing he'd ever done. I mean, Dan would have told you right through, he could have gone on directing that forever because it was his dream assignment because he was like the general in charge of an army and he could do whatever he wanted. You know, he could recreate whatever he wanted. So uh, when he did that, and I think it was Warren Littlefield at NBC at that point came to him and said, uh, how about doing a new version of Dark Shadows? Now Dan was willing to listen because he had changed the lead in his obituary. He knew he knew it's now it would say Dan Curtis who gave us Dark Shadows as well as the Wind of War and War and Remembrance. Now he was, you know, secure enough in the fact that his reputation did not just rest on this one thing, that he could go back and try uh, Dark Shadows again. Mm-hmm. And NBC's, you know, was 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 beyond stupid for canceling it after the yeah. 13. They should have let it go on and see what it might have done. Yeah. Um, not only that, uh, NBC was like a sink off the, that whole in the early 90s. They had another terrific show that only lasted called Erie, Indiana.
1: Oh, I remember that, yeah.
2: It was very good. And then they had another show from West Craven called Nightmare Cafe, which was an anthology oh, yeah. show. Yes, yep. Yeah. They could have put those three shows on Friday night and had a, and built a perfect lineup.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know? But, you know, the, the war, uh, the Gulf War broke right when Dark Shadows premiered. That was, you know, one bugaboo. But the ratings were still not bad, mm-hmm. you know? And it, it ended on just the point where it was like, okay, give them another year. Yeah. You know. So let's see what they're going to do. Let's see what they, I think if Brandon Tartikoff had still been running NBC, they'd have gotten the other year.
1: I think so too. Yeah. Cause didn't Littlefield, Warren Littlefield regret canceling it later on? I think he did. I think he did. Yeah. I
2: think the number for Dark Shadows and the demographic was very good. And yeah. so, you know, th- but that was an incredibly missed opportunity for Dark Shadows fans. Yeah. would have given a very strong primetime presence and would have renewed the fan base really really well you know yeah.
1: so, it seems was, like that was it yeah it seems like that and in 2012 uh i mean i don't know if you have any thoughts on that but that the burton and depp film it would have been i wish I know they were fans they talked about being fans growing up and I wish they hadn't gone in that direction I know WB also pushed for comedy and I wish they had really owned the, the sort of the the Gothic uh, origins of Dark Shadows and t- maybe tell a new story or whatever but I agree
2: I I, I, I mean I I agree completely I you know mm-hmm. uh, whether you like that movie or not they, they they took it into the level of farce yeah and after promising they weren't by the way. You know, yeah. all' their, oh, no, we're going to 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 treat this well. Mm-hmm. And um I think that also derailed dark shadows, too. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it it ended up in the hands of the wrong director.
3: Yeah. You know?
2: um it's not to say that Tim Burton hasn't done wonderful things. and Johnny Depp hasn't done wonderful things. But I think if it had ended up in the hands of say Guillermo del Toro,
1: yes, that's I always call him out as the one. Del I Toro. Wish, uh, well,
2: start, del Toro loves that era. He love. He knows oh, that stuff backwards yes. and forwards. Oh, and He yes. adores yep. that era, and I think he would have done it in a truly serious way.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean,
2: imagine a del Toro film. Oh. God. Yeah. You see, the the, the the you know Dan always liked to redo the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so every Dark Shadows starts on somebody on that damn train heading into Collinsport. You know, you know that's how it's going to start. You know, here we go, oh, there's the train again. You know, mm-hmm. imagine a film actually starting in Martinique.
0: Oh, interesting. In the heat,
2: yeah. uh, the sweltering heat of Martinique and starting in the 1790s with Barnabas yeah. being down there and developing the whole Josette-Angelique story and telling it from there. That's and imagine perfect. Del Toro doing it. Oh,
0: God that would have been imagine amazing.
2: what you could have, what you would have had
0: That you know, would, have been incredible. would have
2: given us a serious a vampire movie.
1: Yeah. I always call <laughs> him out as when, yeah. as the one I wish had directed dark shadow, because as you point out, he gets it. He, I always call him the chosen one because he grew up just absorbing those tales and just that aesthetic. And just, he yep. has an intrinsic knowledge of how to tell those stories in a compelling way. And, and in a meaningful way. And I think it would have been incredible if Guillermo del Toro had- I think he would have
2: given it. us something very new, something very stylish and something very true to the Dark Shadows world. Yeah. You know? And that's the magic combination right there. If you, yeah. can, if you can get that, you know. Yeah. So again, I, I I think that was the missed opportunity, you know, yeah. but the, but I will say this about the 91 uh, series is, um, I, I, I have a great affection for that because that was what really, you know, Put me into the you know i met jim pearson uh, doing that uh you know so so and, and jim's remained a, a very good friend
3: uh mm-hmm.
2: throughout those years um you know it, it gave me an entree to to dan you know uh from there on in i visited the set i mean i was i went down by the goldwyn studios uh oh. where they had the, the collinwood set oh cool you know? yeah. and yeah. then you know i always say about the 91 version the 91 uh, uh january of 91 nbc had a uh a press party and they they did it at Greystone, which was collinwood the oh. uh the, the mansion in beverly hills that is collinwood so they rented out the uh, Greystone for the night they filled it with with dry ice and fog uh they had you know the oh, empire fangs everywhere they, <laughs> robert colbert an orchestra playing in the ballroom
3: what? and
2: everybody wow. could, was mingling with you know you the, the reporters could mingle with the cast and you know and the, the creators and do their interviews in this setting and i was like this is the best party ever <laughs> <laughs> this, is the, this is this is the best uh, you know the only thing that rivaled it was uh when hbo introduced tales from the crypt and they uh, rented out the old roy disney uh, mansion in toluca lake and they did somewhat the same thing and they uh-huh. had,
3: you oh, know yeah, all yeah.
2: these gothic trappings for the, for the yeah <laughs> i love oh, it i so i love the, you know i have very fond memories in the
3: 91 series yeah you know, because of that
1: you know. oh yeah yeah no I, I i wish you know that's it's such a shame that that i remember the protests even and even in my city we had a protest for the in front of city hall i don't know what that would have accomplished in new bedford massachusetts standing in front of city hall with signs to protest the cancellation of the 91 once but there was it was mm-hmm. it was such a shame um uh, but it's it
2: was, Dan, Dan had earned the right to, to, to for a second season he yeah. had earned the right to see what would happen in a second not to say it would you know necessarily mm-hmm. been successful positively successful but I think they would have built on it yeah. and I think they would have uh you know gone on to a decent run if yeah, they had been given a chance
1: agreed. Adrian Paul was going to be Quentin. They were going to bring him back yeah. as Quentin. Uh, supposedly, I mean that would that would have been incredible to this day David Selby is still the only actor who has ever played Quentin Collins. So, yeah, uh, and uh here's a question I have for you. So if there is there are a couple questions I want to ask. You. if there is a new dark Shadows that happens, what what would you say? what would you want to see in a new dark shadows and what would you not want to see in a new dark shadows what would what do you think would make it work
2: well uh, the, the number one thing is that i would hope that they would take it seriously that i would hope it would be done with you know the spirit of the original um, mm-hmm. you know it's, it's something i talk about on the mpi uh, home video is that um, another thing that dark shadows gets beaten up about for <clears throat> is all the the, the mistakes we've yeah. come through yeah. And that's only because it's the only soap opera we still watch, yeah. you know, they were doing two and a half hours of story a week. You know, they were create, writing it, casting it, shooting it, you know, and if you were to look at any other soap opera from the time and when we don't, you see a lot of mistakes. You'd see a lot of people, you know, bumping into the things and knocking things over and calling people by the wrong names. It's not like that was, exclusive to Dark Shadows, you know? And Dark Shadows also was more ambitious than the the soap opera Mm -hmm. at the time. They were doing special effects. Yes, the chroma key and things like that look crude today, but they were trying everything. They had fire on the set. Fire was verboten. Dan loved fire on a set. He loved Almost every set at fire, you know? (laughs) Um, And that was a small little studio where they were shooting in, Um, you know? And for all of that, for all the things that went wrong, Dark Shadows always served up something truly magical in every episode because the actors committed to it. The actors were totally... I mean, one of the things that you, you, you just have to go back to the appeal of Dark Shadows, the original, and that's why I hope any new iteration gets this. Character, character, character. Yes, the plots were derivative, but what made the plots interesting, the plots would not be nearly as interesting if the characters like Quentin, like Julia, like Barnabas, like Roger, like Maggie, if those characters did not have our interest, we would not have continued following. So that's part writer, part actor gets the credit for that. For, yeah. the, for that, for that wonderful thing. And that's the reason Dark Shadows worked. So if you're going to do a, do a reiteration, the first thing, you know, and and for for if I was able to be in the writer's room for 10 seconds, the only thing I would say would be. Character, character, character. Yeah. You get the characters right, no matter what you're doing, which, which, how you're doing this, and you take those characters seriously, and don't play them as a joke. You got a chance. You got a shot in making this, making this happen, making yeah. this work. Whether if you're going to do a new generation, if you're going to, however you're going to do this, you've got a, you've got a really good shot at making this work. But you, yeah. it's got to the, it's got to be in the character.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: You
2: know, if it's not there, it ain't going to work.
1: What about uh, Barnabas? Do you recast or not?
2: That's a really good question. That mm. is, there, you know, I'm not a purist when it comes to this. I mean, I I get this argument a lot on the Colombo front because most Colombo fans would basically say nobody can wear the raincoat but Peter Falk. Peter Falk is the one and only, you know. That argument was made about Sherlock Holmes generation after generation. You know, the first stage actor was William Gillette who played Sherlock Holmes. And he's the only one who could play it, you know. And then Basil Rathbone made it his. And no, 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 he's the only one. You know, we've been through this. And how many great Sherlock Holmes interpretations have we seen? Mm -hmm. My argument would be this. If Barnabas is a great character, and I believe he is, if Barnabas is one of the great horror characters of all time, then he is open to reinterpretation. Then he is Hamlet. Mm-hmm. Then he is any great role. And he is open to reinterpretation.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: He is open to a new actor coming along and making it his own as long as he stays true to you know, who Barnabas is. Just as any actor has to stay true to what Hamlet is, but it mm-hmm. doesn't mean we can't have a whole lot of different Hamlets or a whole lot of different Sherlock Holmes. Right. Right. So redo Barnabas. <coughs> In principle, I'm not opposed to that. Okay. You know, okay. redo Barnabas the way Tim Burton did it. <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> no, but I like Ben Cross's Barnabas. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Let's 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 start right there with Ben Cross and say mm-hmm. Ben Cross came up with an interpretation which was true to the Barnabas Collins character, but didn't remind you of Jonathan.
1: Yeah, he did his own thing, but it was still in line okay. with Barnabas. It's still recognizably. Is Barnabas Collins? Um, is there anything you really don't want to see in a new show?
2: I I wouldn't put that kind of juncture on on something because you know yeah. anything can can work anything can be made to work if it's done right okay. you know it's it's not the idea it's the execution of the idea mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. you know I,
2: and, and 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 plenty of bad ideas any or plenty of ideas that sounded totally ludicrous mm-hmm. if we just said it yeah. You know, if you if you just said, "Well, we're going to do this movie about this guy who is able to clone dinosaurs on an island." <laughs> yeah, well, right, right. That sounds stupid. <laughs> right. You know, right. That's, that's, that's. Oh no, no, it's Jurassic Park. You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's it's the execution that's that's the most important thing. So you know, I it's not the idea so much as I want to know who it is. So, it's like I said, you know, if if the Dark Shadows film. Uh, was was being done. And I had heard that Guillermo del Toro was doing it. Sure. You know, I would be much more enthused about it. So it's it's the people who are involved um, and their intentions that are much more important to me, you yeah. know, than what the basic idea is. Because most basic horror ideas and fantasy ideas, if you just explain it, sounds stupid. It's hard to make a fantasy idea sound. And that's, you know, the problem with horror is horror makes special demands on the suspension of disbelief.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, and it, it basically makes you buy into the, the, the impossible or the improbable. And um, so if, if it's done right, if it's done correctly, any idea can work, right? You know, no matter how dumb it sounds. And and like I said, there, there are plenty of ideas which sound dumb, which turn into blockbusters.
1: Sure, sure. I, I think as long as they get the tone Right uh, and ca- capture that it's interesting when you watch dark shadows they don't it almost exists in its own it's it's i mean it's a town in maine but it's very isolated and they don't reference like you know um pringles potato chips or whatever you know they don't it's just kind of in its own fantasy or jonathan Fred used to call it the dark brigadoon you know that kind of yeah world maybe. and
2: Mm-hmm. It's what it is. And, 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 you know, th- that's the one thing, about dark shadows, you know, cause Dan goes from, 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 from dark shadows to, to Night Stalker and then the Night Stalker movies lead to the Night Stalker series, which Dan was not mm-hmm. involved in.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It only lasts a season. Yeah. The one thing, those two things had those two, as influential as both of those are, and those, both of those are incredibly influential on in the generation of people going to do horror who follow it's almost almost everybody is influenced by one or both of those yeah but the one thing those two things have in common is they never figured out a mythology mm-hmm. you know this is you know dark with, with, what is it about college part you know what <laughs> you know why is it doing this now you know if you were doing dark shadows today if it was just brand new the first thing you probably would figure out is you know, <laughs> is this thing built over a hell mouth what 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 is yeah. why, yes,
1: why, why is it attract yeah. all this supernatural was, yeah
2: the same thing with the Carl Kolschak characters after mm-hmm. a while you say what is it about this guy that he keeps attracting all this stuff yeah. that every week he's running into a zombie a vampire or, you know Jack the Ripper whatever
0: uh-huh
2: you know you you have today you'd explain it, you know and the generation that was influenced by this stuff that come along in the particularly the 90s when you get the X-Files and Buffy mm-hmm. and you know the first thing they did was to create a mythology it was yeah. to create you know that 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 that's what they do now you know is, mm-hmm. and, and comic books have had a lot to do with that sure. Co- you know comic books is, are, have almost had more influence on that than anything mm-hmm. else but you know it, that's one thing about this is that my I, it would be a question i'm not saying i would be for it or against it but i would be saying you're going to come up with a mythology aren't you yeah you're gonna you're not gonna do this and just say. It's Colin Sport. That's it.
0: Yeah, yeah. One
1: thing Dan Curtis would always say in the interviews, and and the writers, they ran out of ideas. We did, we did, you know, turn of the screw. We did Frankenstein. Blah blah blah. We ran out of ideas, and I, I always feel that was kind of a cop out answer. I think it's more that they were all just burned out, uh, you know, as you just tired by the end of the run of Dark Shadows, because there are so many tales that they could have still incorporated into the tapestry of Dark Shadows. And I, I recently wrote an article for Stuart Manning's The Daytime Gothic Magazine that he's putting out about uh, and it was 10 Gothic tales that could have been incorporated into Dark Shadows had it kept going. Um, are there any sort of, um, I guess, archetypes like monster or terror archetypes or stories that you think would have worked with Dark Shadows? Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: You know, it's not so much that. Um... But you know, I, this is something which I've I've always made. Uh, Dark Shadows was almost by design going to burn out.
0: Yeah, yeah, eventually. <laughs> yeah,
2: you know, it is sort of a meteor. You know,
3: mm-hmm. and it's
2: not uncommon to a lot of sort of those pop culture phenomenons that happened in the in in the sixties, where like Batman was this phenomenon, and then only last three seasons. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's 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 over. You know, before it almost begins. Um you see this uh in the 60s where you know eventually something's going to gets that hot it's going to cool off yeah but another problem with dark shadows was and this is where they kind of i think sow the seeds of their own destruction although this will probably be a matter of debate among dark shadows fans and that is dark shadows actually move pretty fast for a soap opera Yeah. now you know if if you and I'm sure today you look at Dark Shadows and go, is it ever going to go on? Is it going to move the story <laughs> on? But the truth is that Dark Shadows actually did, for by soap opera standards, go very fast. The whole idea of a soap opera was that if you missed a week, you could come in the next week and pick it up. And not really. Oh, I went on vacation for a week or two weeks, and I missed two weeks. Well, it's all right. You can pick it back up. We're, you know, we're still here. You missed two weeks of Dark Shadows. You might be, you know, you'd have to call somebody. And say, what the
0: hell happened
2: with Aristide? I just, wasn't, you know, I was a little <laughs> on vacation. Um, so th- th- that was one thing. They move. They move faster than most soap operas did. You know, mm-hmm. they they had that conceit where they would build through the week to the big dun dun dun, dun, dun ending on Friday, come back Monday, but um they they were and they became increasingly more complex they now are introducing parallel time parallel time from different times and they became very very complex and it became harder now you're missing a week and now you're coming back and going are we are we in in, in 70s parallel time here what what, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. you know it became harder to keep up with it a little you know because they were becoming more complex I think that more than anything was the uh, what sort of led to the, the tail off in the ratings, mm-hmm. but you know, the, the, it was cooling off. Anyway, the meteor was going to burn out anyway. And on top of that, you had this increasingly complex uh, storyline that they were, that you were, you were being asked to follow. Um, I, I don't know that it would have, it would have continued under, uh, regardless. You know, I think we all like to think dark shadows could have run for 15 years and gone through all these iterations i think dark shadows did what it was supposed to do right so yeah. i think it did what it was supposed to do and then it, and, and and it ended yeah i would have liked to have seen closure
0: mm-hmm.
2: i wish they could have wrapped it up
0: yeah
2: you know considerably better Great. than they did and i certainly would have liked them for them to have wrapped it up. you know that moment um before they they do the bromwell uh new character when you know uh, professor stokes and julia and barnabas come back
0: yeah
2: and there's this this moment it's almost feels like that's the ending to me
0: yes
2: yeah it's almost like this moment of the, this is where it should end this is where it, it, it should be and you know but yeah I, I sure you know in this day and age you know you would you would probably have gotten more of a wrap-up more of an ending and more of an explanation but
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know they were they were always moving so fast and yeah. there was always continuity you know and there was always the you know you know what happened to Chris Jennings? What happened to Adam? What, right. you know, all of these kind of questions which were left hanging because they were doing, you know, a soap opera and trying to do two and a half hours. And, and I explained explain this to my students when I taught the vampire and film and television class at Kent State. And I would show them, you know, excerpts from Dark Shadows. We show them some black and white. And then I show them some the color ones. And, you know, they were first of all, they were kind of, you know, mesmerized that something like this was happening every day. Yeah. In, in television. You know, but, you know, they would snicker at the mistakes too, oh, yeah. you know, a little bit. And I'd say, guys, you know, how long is Avatar? And there's a, it's a couple hours. Yeah, it's a couple hours. How long did James Cameron work on Avatar? How much money did he have? How many people worked on Avatar? Look at the credits for Avatar. There are yeah. hundreds, but there's about a thousand people listed. And yeah. These guys were doing two and a half hours a week. Yeah. Yeah. You have to understand that, you know, this is like a cross between theater and television.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, mm-hmm. and then these were, this was like a repertory company, is what you had here right. of actors. And, you know, under those circumstances, they're doing really good work here.
1: I think and- sometimes people, modern audiences or younger people, maybe have a difficult time looking at things through that lens like they can't keep it in its proper context it's and I, I i never i get it bums me out when i see people like laughing at at, at um at error mistakes and things like that it's i mean yeah okay there's a blooper somebody a fly landed on somebody okay that's funny but that's not the show that's people need to look past that i think and look at look at the acting and the, the writing and the and the, the the drama and the storytelling the sets the music i mean it's just the, the fact you're that
2: you're missing an awful lot if that's what you focused on
1: yeah i you know, think so too you know,
2: i think I, I i you sure you know but i do know i mean look i i had students who couldn't look at black and white
1: yeah you know? i know people who like that too they can't they can't and you they know don't what watch are do? White movies yeah
2: you know what, what are you going to say you know if you don't if you're not going to give it a chance you know mm-hmm. think of the riches you're denying yourself
1: Absolutely. Like you mentioned, all of those great comedians, I used to, they used to show those here too. I used to watch those with my uncle, the great comedians, you know, the the Marx Brothers and W.C. Fields and, and Laurel and Hardy and all of these great, I mean, that's all in black and white all of these uh,
2: my students didn't know who wc fields was no
1: kidding they didn't, oh. even iconically
2: they didn't know who the marx brothers were not even oh. they did not know uh no. they, you might as well have been talking about leaders of the uh of the the communist revolution they wow. had no idea who you're talking wow.
1: about wow my students had no idea who bella lugosi was i had a i had a lugosi uh, a necklace with lugosi on it and somebody said oh professor who's who's that on your necklace i said oh it's bella lugosi silence i said Lugo- dracula you guys know Dracula, right? Yeah. It's the actor who played Dracula in, in the classic film. Oh, no.
2: They didn't know Karloff. They didn't know, you oh, know. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and I would show a film with Karloff. Wow. Uh, excerpts with, with in one of my, and I would say to them, you know, Karloff, but you just don't know, you
1: know, Karloff. Right. Oh, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. And, and, they, and they,
2: <laughs> they, they, they look at me and I'd say, all right, think of the Monster Mash. <laughs> they all knew in the Monster Man from Halloween. And I said, Now sure. think of the voice. I was working in a lab yeah. night. I said, That's Karloff. That's yeah. a Karloff impression. I said, and now think of the how the Grinch stole Christmas, the the what you grew up with and the narrator. That's mm-hmm. Karloff, the yeah. voice. Yeah. So you even though you don't know that you know Karloff, you do. Yeah. You know, and we did the same thing with Darren McGavin when we got to the Night Stalker. And I would say. I'm gonna tell it to you now. He's the old man in Christmas stories. Christmas
4: stories. Now yeah. have
2: you going, where do I know this guy from? This is a younger version of something. Yeah, you know, I'd say, well, before the penny drops, I'm gonna tell you this is this is that guy. Yeah. So oh, no, you're absolutely right. They 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 don't. Now the great thing is though, the wonderful thing is because I would show Legosi's Dracula in my vampires. They loved it.
0: Oh awesome. And they love
2: Legosi's performance because of his total commitment to the role. It yeah. was one of their favorite things they watched. Yeah, um, it, all through. So the magic of lugosi's performance still works on them if they give yeah. them a chance. You got to get them to give it a chance.
0: That's
1: the you thing. Know, yeah, yeah. And they, with, would, I, mm-hmm.
2: they had to watch it in in class, and yeah. then when they did, they were glad they did.
1: Yeah, one one thing that uh, that really warmed my heart, I guess, when I went to View Terrace, Colin Bob has these get-togethers there, and I met a group of young Dark Shadows fans in their twenties, and they are just as enthusiastic about it as all the other fans and i had them on the podcast recently because they have their own little online community a discord community and they were they were great in there i said that well that that gives me hope that that you know that people will continue to find young people will continue to find dark shadows well it's like
2: i said i you know it is it is a very enriching thing for me you know to say you know mm-hmm. i always feel like i'm sort of giving back because you know, I spent most of my journalistic career—forty-three uh, years—and in, in, in working in newspapers. Most of them was spent as a TV critic, and other TV critics did not get dark shadows. Aww. they did not understand. They they tended to dismiss it like everybody else.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, not not everybody. There were a few. There were a few uh, TV critics who, uh, who, who 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 did grow up with dark shadow, just loved it, and um, I remember. There was a Dark Shadows Festival at uh, the, the Hollywood Renaissance Hotel uh, on Hollywood Boulevard, right next to the uh, Gromans Chinese Theater.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, Jim Pearson had asked me to show the, the pilot to the, the attempt to do the WB.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: The 2004 and, pilot. And,
2: yep. With Alec Newman. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, would you show the pilot and set it up and talk? And I said, yeah, sure. That'd be fun. So, you know, I took the stage. And I was going to show the pilot and there were three TV critics in the back and they happen to be the three other TV critics who just love dark shadows. Just oh. And I said to them, you know, I know you think of me as your TV critic, us you know i'm you know sort of the go-to tv critic when it comes to dark shadows things i said but in the back of the room there are three people and everybody turned around and looked at them and gave them a standing ovation
0: oh that's great
2: <laughs> and they told me later on it was one of the greatest moments of their lives
0: oh that's to so they've
2: sweet. had this sort of regular from the dark shadows fans coming back to them
0: <laughs> i love <laughs> you know,
2: that. That's, that that's really wonderful you know um, so it's things like that that dark shadows given you know they getting to write the uh, short story um for the kolshak anthology that crossed Coleshack yeah. and Barnabas, you know? Yes. Yeah. And being able to come up with that idea and it's take so it. Cool. Dan. So cool. Uh, say to Dan, I got an idea.
1: What did Dan think when you first Oh, he loved presented it. it. Oh,
2: okay. love it. Bring together his two yeah iconic horror guys. And I said, I said, I, I wouldn't do this just to do this, but I think I've got a nexus. I think I've got a real cross here. And then I went yeah. to Jeff Rice, who created Coleshack, and, and tell him the idea. Well, they both loved it. And so they both yeah. gave me permission to do the story they let me use dan let me use willie and 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 barnabas's characters in the story yeah, yeah. and jeff let me use Kolchak. so yeah,
0: that's that so cool too,
2: you know it was so so i mean that's the kind of rewards that you get like you know years later you go oh, the university is going to give you this
0: yeah
1: and
0: that's do this. that's yeah. wow that's
1: incredible um mark um do you, what can you t- tell us a little bit just before before we uh close things uh, up here? Can you tell us a little bit about one of the authors that was used prominently in in Dark Shadows and some of the storylines was Edgar Allan Poe? well he was. you pointed out Cascava Monteado. And can you talk a little bit about your new Edgar Allan Poe biography, which looks very uh very fascinating? I was reading a little bit about it and I said, Oh, this sounds really cool.
2: Yeah, this is another gift that um uh, the universe has given me, because uh, I've carried Poe throughout my life. I've it's always been, you know, uh, and, and I've basically built up a reputation of scholarship for Mark Twain. Five of my books are Twain-centric. And it was actually an editor at St. Martin's who suggested that I write about Edgar Allan Poe. And I I, I would have never had the, uh, the ego, I guess, to have said, you know, I should be the person to write about Poe. But this editor said, oh, well, I, I, how could you not? I, he ch- you, you check a lot of the boxes. I didn't see it. Sometimes it takes somebody else to point out you know, the obvious. And in this case, I, he said, well, he said, you've written about horror subjects like you know, Dracula and the Night Stalker. You've written about mystery subjects like Columbo. You've written about great American writers like Mark Twain. You've written literary biography. You were a critic most of your life. He was a critic most of his life. How does this not check all your boxes? And I thought, yeah, you know, that that, that kind of makes sense. But, you know, then I was sort of, what kind of book do you want? And it became clear pretty fast. He wanted a book that claimed that it could solve the mystery of Poe's death. And um, I said to him at the time, if that's the book you're thinking about, uh, you know, I I don't think it's possible. I don't think it's responsible to claim you can definitively prove how Poe died. It, it's a cold case. You know, there's, there was no autopsy. He died in 1849. And even if there had been an autopsy, it would have been worthless because uh, this, the, the art of the autopsy really comes into the modern age during the Civil War. That's when we got very, very good at cutting up and dissecting bodies. Um so even if Poet had an autopsy, they wouldn't have known how to do it. They would have been doing it with the equivalent of butcher's knives. Um, there was no death certificate. There's no surviving soft tissue that can be subject to modern forensics. Um, the witnesses that do exist around his death are unreliable at best, contradictory, sometimes contradicting themselves in different. Uh, so I said, you know, you're, this is as, as cold a case as you could possibly have. But what I will do is I will write an examination of his life through the prism of the mystery of his death. Because that's why the subtitle is reversed. The subtitle is The Death and Life of Edgar Allan Poe. And the reason it's reversed is because most biographies start where life begins, with, with when somebody is born. In Poe's case, it always seems to start with his death. We always seem to start the conversation with the mystery of how he died and poe dies in 1849 he's buried the next day in a small presbyterian cemetery in baltimore miserable affair attended by almost no one and the next day he's buried again because somebody he thought was a friend publishes an obituary which sets out to make poe a scoundrel a drunk an immoral person and this person was actually nursing grudges against Poe all these mm. years and Poe didn't know it.
3: Wow.
2: So Poe is buried yet again under this mountain of misconception and lies. And then they dug him up in 1875 mm. because they wanted to put a big monument there at that point. And um, the part of the cemetery where he was buried, there wasn't room for the monument. So they dug him up and they buried him again. This guy keeps getting buried. Yeah. Now, if any Dark Shadows fan... Or Edgar Allan Poe fan. No, there's one rule that applies to both. Nothing stays buried. Yeah. (laughs) And Poe emerges from the grave to be not only uh, our most iconic writer of Gothic and horror fiction. He also emerges to be probably the best read American writer, not only in the United States, but around the world, because everybody gets Poe. Yeah, everybody. You got him. I got them. Every seventh grade, you used to get the Telltale Heart and the Raven, and then you get them right through high school. If you take college literature courses, you're probably going to get Poe again. Everybody gets Edgar Allan Poe. And everybody has an idea of what Poe looked like.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I say Poe, you got an image
1: mm-hmm. in your mind. I think Poe and Twain are probably the two most... They're the only recognizable. one yeah, they are. recognizable yeah recognizable
2: can can you pick herman Melville out of a police lineup yeah. you uh, <laughs> you know what uh, yeah. you know and not only that we we market them there's you know there's merchandise mm-hmm. forever poe even more than twain you can go into a, a BAM or a barnes and noble and see shelves of merchandise devoted yeah. to Edgar Poe where are the shelves to Melville where are the yeah. the, the shelves to Emerson Hawthorne <laughs> yes so Poe he 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 gets the last laugh in all of yeah. this because he not, he emerges from the grave and um, he's triumphant, mm-hmm. so that's why death and life, of yeah. Edgar Allan Poe. You know, and then yeah, on the way, right. I said if I come up with what I think is a convincing, plausible theory as to how he died, I will present it. I do. I think sure. I've, I think I've got the answer, but I would not insist on it because it's not provable.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: So if somebody else says, no, no, no. I think he died of this. Okay, fine yeah I'm I've got no dog in the fight
1: and this is it's on Amazon, right. It's available on oh, Amazon yes. book yeah, bookstores near you Bookstore, Barnes and Noble, et cetera. yeah. um, have you seen uh, the Poe statue in Boston where he was born? Yeah. I,
2: I make that part of my there are there are three statues to Poe, one in Richmond, yeah, which was the city of his heart. The one in Richmond is a very staid statue of him Stan is sitting yes. in it. it's, it's just got to know it. Then there's the one in um. In, in baltimore the the city where he died and it's a little bit better he's sitting but he's sort of getting up and it's almost like telling a story it's got a little more action it's better boston's got the best statue oh it's great he's, he's, he's in full stride and it's you know he's got the belief, coming the belief back to boston, boston. Yes. <laughs> the city of his birth yep. you know he had a problematic relationship with boston yes
1: boston. yep i tell my students that too because most of them are not i do a class on <laughs> Poe and lovecraft um mm-hmm. and i started by telling them that they were both born in New England and people who know Lovecraft, not a lot of people, more people now that seem to know who he is. But when I first started teaching it, a lot of people didn't, uh, but they seem to know, okay, po- Lovecraft is Providence. When I say Edgar Allan Poe was born in Boston, they don't like, really? They didn't, they didn't know. And because he's so associated with, with Baltimore or with Virginia, like he was born in Boston. And I explained how, yeah, he had a problematic relationship with Boston, the literary, the Longfellow and, and he, uh, Poe
2: yeah. is the, yeah. the the frog pondians as he Yes, calls.
1: yes, yep, po. exactly, yeah. And Boston well, had po, an issue with Poe. They didn't embrace him until recently when they put that statue up because they didn't I think Boston held the grudge for a while there too.
2: <laughs> well, you know, Poe's life is defined by five eastern cities. You know, he's born in Boston. Uh he finds a family in Baltimore and then he's going to end up dying there. Um he grows up in Richmond and he starts his his career as a magazine editor in Richmond, yeah, and um, he ends up in New York at the in a cottage in Fordham near near the, in the Bronx, what is now the Bronx. But the city, those four cities, you know, all have a claim on Poe, but so does a fifth, and it's the one that really people don't think of it, and that's Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. He spent six years of his adult life in Philadelphia, and yeah. those were the years when he produced most of his greatest stories. Mm-hmm. Almost all of his hits are done in in Philadelphia. When he, he lives yeah. in five different residences in Philadelphia, only one of them still standing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when the Telltale Heart and the Fall of all the House of Usher and the you know all of the the, the his, his greatest stories uh, are mm-hmm. are done during this golden period that he's in Philadelphia. And nobody associates Philadelphia with him.
0: Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, you're right.
2: But those yeah. five cities are pretty much defined Poe. Yeah.
0: You know? Yeah, I
1: think they could have done, uh, it would have been interesting as a final storyline on Dark Shadows to do the fall of the House of Usher or some some aspect, maybe merge it with, with the a haunting of, of Hill House.
2: Is, uh, yeah. you know, with the merging they, they of Hill
3: House.
2: A lot of, I, at one point, I, I I did a sort of a cross to, to figure out just how many stories they did. And I uh-huh. forget how many, but, you know, I mean, certainly, you know, the cask of Amontillado, certainly yeah. the Telltale Heart
1: pit in uh, the pendulum the
2: pendulum Lygia is, yeah. is in there. you know there there's at least five or six stories oh the, there. the
1: the uh, premature burial
3: yes
2: no, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah obviously
1: yeah yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. There, i'm sure that there are probably <laughs> probably more in the mix too uh walmart Thank you for taking the time today to sit down with me and then chat uh, about Dark Shadows and Dan Curtis and all of your wonderful experiences uh, as, as a fan and also as a professional who worked on on uh, Dark Shadows. And uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you. So thank you.
2: You know, like I you said, you, you've got me on a favorite topic here. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I'll always, you know, like I said, I, as a TV critic, I was a champion of Dark Shadows and I remain one. You know, uh, as a horror fan, as a <clears throat> as an author um, and and, and it, whatever standing I have left as a TV critic, I, I still will be a champion of Dark Shadows because I think, like I said, it's crucially important um, and does not get the recognition it deserves. And um, and I'll always be there, you know, raising that flag, saying, <laughs> you know, you if, you if you don't appreciate Dark Shadows, you don't get it, yeah. you 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 don't get. The whole arc of vampire storytelling, mm-hmm. horror storytelling, and in some ways, television history. It's yeah. it's, it's it's crucially important to all three.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and I, I try to explain that to some of my friends who are into, you know, pop culture uh, stuff uh, and they, they're into vampires and all this. And I'm like you got it. dark shadows is key. You got to watch it. And they try, start watching it. Like, oh, it's kind of slow. And it was like, as you pointed out, it's, it isn't really, uh, well, I think they started with some of the early episodes. I might have to tell them, try again with 1897 or see how that goes.
2: <laughs> yeah. If, if you start, you know, with the, uh some of the early episodes you it it does it can't can when's it going when 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 does this when does it get going yeah yeah. and i like the early episodes i I do too i love you know i I, have got nothing against the early episodes and you know there's some some wonderful actors in in there you know Um, um mitch ryan you know oh sure yeah who also got his you know david selby and mitch ryan both got their start at the barter theater And I interviewed them both. That's my first book was a history of the barter theater in in Virginia, which was this wonderful theater, which is also the most haunted theater in America, by the way. Oh, interesting. There's a whole (laughs) chapter in that book about the ghosts, uh, but amazing number of actors got their start at the barter. Uh, Gregory Peck, Ernest Borgnine, Ned Beatty, Patricia Neal, Hugh Cronin. They all got their start at the barter. And and Mitch Ryan and David Selby both got their start at the barter. And, uh, you know, so I interviewed them for that book. Yeah. Like 1980. Oh, so, yeah, you know. Yeah. Wow. So, so the Dark Shadows connections are always, they're always there. They're always yeah.
1: there. Well, thank you again, Mark. Um, I appreciate you taking the time. Folks, uh, if you uh, enjoy the podcast, please do subscribe to the podcast whether you listen on Apple podcast Spotify Stitcher wherever you get your podcast Terror at Collinwood has invaded all podcast apps uh also on YouTube this, there is a special video version of this episode um so you can head on over to YouTube and subscribe there uh please do like the video uh watch the video uh whatever whatever they do these they ring the bell I don't know if I guess that notifies you if you get new videos so that's that's great um and I want to thank my guest again for joining me uh, and I will see you next Next time, Terror at Collinwood.
0: And for as long as they lived, the dark shadows never truly vanished, for there will always be Terror at Collinwood. Terror at Collinwood is a Penny Dreadful production.